Okay, well this morning I want to talk to you a little bit about the subject of hope. So if you could just please pray with me as we go into our message this morning. Heavenly Father, this morning we just pray along with the Apostle Paul that the eyes of our hearts may be enlightened and opened in order that we may know the hope to which you have called us, the riches of your glorious inheritance. God, open our hearts, open our minds, for it's in the name of of Jesus we pray. And everyone that loves him said, Amen. Amen. Now, if you're like most people, you probably have this ongoing struggle or grappling with this thing that we call hope. There are times that we are full of hope, and then there are times that our hopes are dashed. And we've all had times when there's nothing left to hold on to except for hope. And then uh, there are probably times uh, when you've had to give up hope. And that sounds like a bad thing, right? But it's not always a bad thing. When I was in junior high, I hoped that I would be an NBA star. And, or if not that, at least a major league ball player. And I gave up those hopes a long time ago. And uh, people are laughing. <laughs> like, you don't look like any NBA star. <laughs> I'm not that type of a shape, right? So and it's a good thing I gave up that hope because I needed to focus my hope on other things. So sometimes you have to give up hope in the wrong thing so that you can focus your hope on the right thing. Hope, what does hope mean to you? You know, I've heard different people's definitions of hope. One very pessimistic person said this, hope is the first step on the road to disappointment. Well, that's kind of a pessimistic view, isn't it? Uh, one person who was a little bit more optimistic said this, um, hope is that little voice that whispers, maybe, when the whole world is shouting no. Well, that's a little bit more optimistic, right? Uh, another more stoic person uh, uh, observed this. He said, hope um, is at the same time man's greatest weakness and man's greatest strength. Hope. It's something that everybody needs. And in an existence that has no shortage of challenges and disappointments and pain and heartache and death and despair, Hope is essential to our ability to function. Hope is what gives us energy and inspiration when our circumstances say that we should just give up. Hope is that motivation that gives us momentum in the mean times of life. Just like air is essential for physical survival, so hope is essential for emotional and spiritual survival. And loss of hope is the main reason that some people commit suicide. But the good news for the Christian is that, is that we have a relationship with someone who is called the God of all hope. We have a relationship with the most hope-filled being in the universe. And he offers us hope for his presence in this life and hope of blessings for all eternity. Now, when we talk about hope, in our common everyday usage, when we say the word hope, we mean something like this. Good wishes for a positive outcome concerning something in the future that is uncertain. We hope for a positive outcome. We're wishing for something positive to happen in the future, but the result is really uncertain. We're not really sure that it's going to happen. And we have this type of hope for all sorts of things. Our youth recently participated in fine arts. And on the sectional level, they all hoped that they would get a good enough score to make it onto the district level. And then those who made it onto the district level 
hoped that they would get a good enough score to make it onto the national level. You know, and some of our kids are involved in, in their school sports. I was just talking with OJ recently, and he was on the uh, volleyball team, right? And they went to districts. They hope to win enough games to go to districts. And then they get there, they hope that they win a few games there, right? And maybe win the championship. Hope. Good wishes for a uh, positive outcome concerning something in the future that is uncertain. Some of our youth are hoping to be accepted to, into this college or that college, and are hoping to get scholarships. And parent, parents hope all the time. I mean, do you remember when you, when you held that newborn for the first time, and you looked into that cherubic face, and all of the hopes and dreams that flooded your heart? I mean, you were thinking, you were looking into the face of a president. Right? You, or maybe you were looking into the face of someone who's going to cure cancer or cure AIDS. Or, or maybe your hopes were just a little bit simpler and your, your hopes were just that you know, this child will grow up healthy and live a, and live a good life and live a, a stable life. But you had hopes and dreams. You're full of hopes and dreams, none of which are certain, but all of which are supported by your own wishes and desires and all the resources that you have at your disposal. Then you fast forward some 16 years later and you're saying things like, God, I hope they just turn out all right. Right? right? You know, and some of you teenagers, you know, you look surprised. You know, our parents are really praying like that. Our parents are saying things like that. Well, don't look so surprised, teenagers. Yeah, because you're the ones who make us pray that way. Right? Because, I mean, there's no, it's not a secret why about the time you all turn 13, our hair starts to fall out and turn gray. Right? <laughs> We're hoping that you turn out all right. Sometimes, you know, parents have very positive hopes. My parents had very positive hopes for me. I always, I often used to hear my mother saying, oh God, I hope Paul makes it to another birthday. <laughs> I mean, those are the types of hopes we have for our children. Parents, we encourage our children to hope. Fathers and mothers really encourage us to hope for all kinds of things. Our mothers would say things like, you better hope the dishes are done by the time I get home or there's going to be a price to pay. Or, you better hope that your room is clean before I get home and you're not going out all week. Or, you better hope that mess is cleaned up before your father gets home. Right? Mothers encouraged us to hope. Our dads encouraged us to hope. My dad used to say things like, you better hope I don't stop this car. <laughs> or, you better hope your report card is better than last semester. Our parents encouraged us to hope. And so we hope for all kinds of things. We hope that the Eagles win and the Cowboys lose. We hope the Flyers win and the Penguins lose. We hope the Phillies win and the Mets lose. Right? We hope the government lowers taxes. We hope the government cuts spending. We hope the economy gets better and unemployment goes down. We hope that our retirement accounts go up and the cost of living goes down. Right? We hope for all kinds of things this way. And sometimes hopes get dashed. Like remember when you're a kid on your birthday and you're hoping for that one really special present and instead you get socks. <laughs> Sometimes hopes are dashed. Or what about uh, this one? On the very same day that the Eagles won the Super Bowl, the Patriots lost the Super Bowl. Right? Sometimes hopes get dashed. <laughs> hey, stop making fun of me over here. All right? <laughs> When I was in junior high and my, and my basketball team, and that's about as far as I went, uh, won some playoff game. Uh, we were cheering, and while at the same time, while our hopes were fulfilled, the other team walked suddenly off the court because their hopes 
were dashed. Hope, good wishes for a positive outcome concerning something in the future that's uncertain. The common definition of hope. But then we come to the idea of hope in the Bible. And the Bible has a lot to say about hope. The English word hope occurs 185 times in the NIV translation of the Bible. 96 times in the Old Testament and 89 times in the New Testament. And there are some times when the authors use this word hope in the same way that we've been talking about. There sometimes when the word hope is used in the ordinary sense of meaning about good expectation for a positive outcome about something that's uncertain. The Apostle Paul, for example, said to the Roman believers, I hope to visit you um, while passing through on his way to Spain. And to the Philippians, he said, I hope in the Lord to send Timothy to you soon, as soon as I see how things go with me. And the Apostle John said to his readers in one of his letters that I hope to see you soon and we'll talk face to face. And these are instances where it uses hope in the traditional sense. He's uncertain if he's gonna to get to Rome, but he hopes to get there. He's, un he's uncertain if he can send Timothy, but he hopes to send him. John was uncertain if they would see face to face, but he hoped to see them. But then there are other times in the scriptures where the New Testament writers use the word hope in a completely different way. All of them used the word hope in a completely different way when they spoke of hope in relationship to God, when they spoke of hope in relationship to Jesus. The Apostle Paul, the Apostle John, and Peter, and, and the writer of the book of Hebrews, all of them consistently used the word hope in a different way than it was commonly used then or now when it was in connection with Jesus. They transformed it and infused it with a precious meaning for those of us who love Jesus. And as you read, all that they have to say about the idea of this word hope in connection with Jesus, you come to the conclusion that the definition that they had in mind about hope as it relates to God went something more like this. An encouragement of the Spirit concerning a positive future outcome that is certain. An encouragement of the Spirit concerning a positive future outcome that is certain. So now look at the difference between these two definitions. Both have in mind a positive future outcome. I mean, that's what hope is. We, we hope for something positive to happen in the future. But the first one originates in our hearts and has as its power or as its engine only our own finite human resources, which sometimes prove inadequate. So you're in school and, you, and you're hoping to get an A or a B. And you have some resources to make that happen, right? You don't just sit there and hope and hope and hope, right? What do you do? You study a little bit, right? I'm talking to you guys over here. <laughs> you study, you have resources, and you put them to work, and, and, and lo and behold, all of a sudden, you got your A or your B. Your hopes were fulfilled. You know, but then there's some other time you, you've got this job and you're, and you're hoping for a promotion and, uh, and, and you work really hard at it and you do everything you're supposed to do, but you know, somebody else is working hard as well and they're, and they're hoping for that promotion and, 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 you, and you get passed over. And it turns out that your human resources weren't adequate. You know, there are occasions when our human resources aren't adequate, but hope as it relates to Jesus originates with the Holy Spirit of God and has as its engine the infinite resources of God Almighty, which always prove to be adequate for attaining the desired outcome. It's an encouragement of the Spirit concerning a positive future outcome that is certain. The New Testament letter writers, Paul, Peter, John, Hebrews, all took the concept of hope and turned it 
on its head as it relates to Jesus. So that even more than just the promise of a benevolent God watching over those who love him, they transformed hope into the certainty of God's faithfulness to his promises and the ultimate triumph of faith even in the midst of the bleakest, most difficult circumstances. Now, you may ask, you know, Pastor Paul, if it's certain, I mean, how is that still hope if it's certain? It remains hope in that it is not something we have yet received fully. Some of it remains in the future. So Paul says, but hope that is seen is no hope at all. Who hopes in what he already has? But if we hope for what we do not yet have, we wait for it patiently. So there's the principle. There's the Bible principle. So we're going to spend the, the remainder of our time this morning unpacking what it means to have biblical hope. And you can find this idea taught and illustrated many times throughout the scriptures. As a matter of fact, I encourage you sometimes to do a study on hope. Just open up Bible Gateway on your computer and, and type in the word hope and begin reading the scriptures that you see there. It'll, it'll encourage you and lift up your spirits and strengthen your faith. But today, we'll... We only have time to look at one major passage from the Bible. And so we're going to look at some verses in Paul's letter to the Romans. So if you could turn there with me to Romans chapter 5, and we're going to begin at verse 1. And it says, Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand, and we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. We rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. There's that kind of hope that we've been talking about again. Hope in the glory of God. It's hope that's connected with our glorious God. It's connected with faith in Jesus. And a hope that he's talking about promises a lot of good things. There's a lot of good things promised in these verses. Let's look at them. It promises peace. It promises grace. It promises justification. It promises access to God. It promises that one day we will stand before God and see his glory. Say, there's a lot of good things packed in these verses about hope. And that's something to rejoice over. That's something to get a little bit excited about. That's the kind of hope that we're talking about. Aren't you glad for the peace of God? I mean, aren't you glad for the, for the goodness of God, for the hope of God, for justification and and aren't you glad for promises of access to God Almighty? I mean, that's something to get excited about. The kind of hope that makes a difference in your existence. Hope in the glory of God. Now let's go on, verse 3. Not only so, but we also rejoice in our sufferings. Why all so quiet? Now, none of you said amen on that part. Now hold on, hold on for a minute. Let's figure this out. I quoted the scriptures and I said, you know, we have this, uh, we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God and y'all got excited and said amen, right? And then I read the very next verse, the very next part, and uh, we all rejoice in our sufferings and, and y'all didn't say amen. And I don't blame you because that's not my favorite part either. And as a matter of fact, I think sometimes uh, uh, we probably wish that it said something different. We probably wish that it said, and not only so, but we also rejoice because we have no sufferings. How many of you wish it said that? All right. 
You know, sometimes that's kind of what we expect from our Christian lives. We, we get, that we give our lives to Christ and we come down to the altar or somewhere. We make an altar in our heart and we become a, a Jesus follower, a Christ follower. And, and then we rejoice because we have no sufferings. And we think that in that moment when we get up from the altar, that seems like there are angel choirs uh, behind us and they're singing something like, you know, some big Broadway number behind us. You just got saved and all that. And there's a big Broadway number going on. It's like, you'll be swell. You'll be great. You've got the whole world on your plate. Starting here, starting now. Baby, everything's coming up roses. <laughs> right? And you know what? That's how it seems sometimes when we first come to Christ. I mean, we've been living under all of this condemnation and all of this stuff, and, and, uh, and, and we're bound up in sin, and it's just awful. We're experiencing all the results of being in our sin. Then we come to Christ, and all of that is rolled off of us. Right? And now instead of in condemnation, we're in grace and we're in goodness and mercy and we're experiencing freedom from sin and it's great. And it seems like everything's coming up roses. And it seems like God has said, you know, uh, we rejoice because we no longer have any sufferings, right? And, but, but that's not what it says, does it? And the first time something goes wrong and we start to experience suffering, we begin to wonder, you know, where's God? Has he forsaken me? Does he, love, does he love me anymore? Doesn't he care about me? Doesn't he see me? And we're wondering, hey, where'd that angel choir go that was singing, everything's coming up roses? Because we're thinking that as followers of Jesus, we rejoice because we have no sufferings, but that's not what it says. It says, we rejoice in our sufferings. Now hold on a minute. Hold on a minute. Put on the brake for a second. I know some of you are probably asking, what does he mean, rejoice in our sufferings? Who rejoices in their sufferings? And besides, Pastor Paul, I thought you were going to talk about hope. Why are you bringing up suffering? You know, honestly, to the natural mind, the Apostle Paul bringing up suffering uh, here almost seems out of place. I mean, to the natural mind. How does suffering and rejoicing go together. I mean, it would be like if you came down to the altar after service and, and told one of us pastors about all of the horrendous, awful things that are going on in your life, and we looked back at you and said, you know, wow, you've got a lot of things to rejoice about, in all seriousness. I mean, what would you think if we said that? It's kind of like that, Paul bringing up um, rejoicing in sufferings here. How can hope rejoice in sufferings? Well, let's find out as we look further in this passage. Let's find out how this works. Paul's going to show us how hope works in our lives. And the first thing I want you to see is that it doesn't say rejoice for your sufferings. Do you catch that difference? It doesn't say rejoice for your sufferings. The idea is not like, oh, this terrible, awful thing happened, this tragic thing happened, and, and somebody died too young, or this, this terrible thing happened to somebody, and we're supposed to go, yay, I'm so glad that happened. Yay. I mean, that would not be spiritual. That would just be something we should put you like in an institution for or something, right? I mean, that's not what God said. He's not being heartless here where he's saying, like, all this stuff, terrible, bad stuff happens, and you're just supposed to yeah, I'm so glad that happened. I mean, when tragedy happens, when evil happens to people, we're not supposed to be glad that it happens. But it does say rejoice in your suffering. In the midst of sufferings, God gives us things to rejoice about. So let's look how this unfolds in this passage. Continuing on in verse 3. It says, we rejoice in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance. Suffering produces perseverance. 
When you're suffering, God has not abandoned you. He's, he's still at work in your life. The Spirit of God is at work in your heart. So when you're suffering, it can get discouraging. It can be disheartening. But, but Paul is here to say, don't lose courage. Don't lose hope. Don't give up. God is doing something. God is working in your life. He's producing perseverance in you through this suffering. You learn to be the type of person who never gives up. You learn to be the type of person who never lets go. When you're knocked down, you get back up by the grace of God. When it seems like nothing is going right, you keep trusting God. You keep putting one foot in front of the other. You keep taking the next step. You persevere. Man, perseverance is not about how hard you can hit. It's about how hard that you can get hit, but keep moving forward. That's what faith is about. That's what hope is about. It keeps moving forward because it sees Jesus at the end of the journey. So life's not this endless parade or series of windfalls and worldly successes. Sometimes life hits you. Sometimes life hits you hard. I mean, right in the gut. You know, and I've known some people who go to pieces the first time they face opposition or suffering of any kind, and they begin to ask, you know, where's God? If God loved me, how could this be happening to me? Can I tell you something? Can I encourage you? Can I try to lift up your spirits a little bit this morning if you're suffering? It does not mean that God does not love you. It does not mean that God has forgotten you. It does not mean that you failed. It does not mean that you're unlovable. And it does not mean that you are forgotten or unimportant to God. It just means that you are human. And if you're suffering for Jesus' sake because of your testimony for Jesus, that doesn't mean that God has forsaken you. On the contrary, the Bible says that his glory rests on you. And so I encourage you, keep moving forward this morning. Fix your eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of your faith, and keep moving forward. Keep focusing on Jesus. Keep hoping in Jesus. Oh, how we need men and women and young people who are going to persevere and keep moving forward in faith no matter what life hits them with. Even if your situation looks like this. You may feel like the devil's got you halfway down his gullet, but if you do, can I encourage you, grab onto his neck and don't let him swallow. Become a person of perseverance because of the hope that is in you. Hope in the glory of God enables us to rejoice in suffering. So let them produce perseverance because, verse 4a, the next verse, perseverance produces character. When the Holy Spirit helps you to endure, something else awesome happens inside of you. Something happens in your character. You become the kind of person that God wants you to be. You become the type of person who is the same on the inside as they are on the outside. You become the type of person who is the same in private as you are in public. And you become the type of person that can be counted on to do the right thing when the heat is on. Sufferings produce perseverance. Perseverance produces godly character, which leads to verse 4b. Character produces hope. Now look at that for a second. We've come full circle now, haven't we? Because, because of the hope of the glory of God, we can rejoice in our sufferings. Sufferings produce perseverance. Perseverance produces character. And character produces more hope. And look what kind of hope this is in verse 5. And hope does not disappoint us. You know, sometimes natural hope disappoints us. 
Hope that originates in our own hearts can disappoint us. Hope in worldly things can disappoint us. So, so we didn't get that promotion. We didn't get that school that we wanted to get into. We didn't get that business deal. Or, or some person that we put our hope in disappoints us. They didn't act how they had promised. Or they didn't come through how we expected. Hopes um, get dashed. And the hope, but hope in connection with Jesus does not disappoint us. It's not just wishful thinking for a good outcome in the future. It's the certainty of the ultimate triumph of faith in Jesus that is based on the love of God in Jesus. Look at these next verses as we continue. Now, these, these verses are awesome. I hope, I hope these get your, your spiritual motor running. They, let them encourage your heart. Continuing in verse 5. Hope does not disappoint us because God has poured out his love into our hearts by the Holy Spirit whom he gave us. You see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Now, very rarely will anyone die for a righteous man, though for a good man, someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Now, since we have now been justified by his blood, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through him? For if when we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son, how much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through his life? Not only is this so, but we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. And you see in these verses, this hope is all tied up in the person of Jesus Christ, in the work of Jesus Christ, in the salvation of Christ. That's why this hope can rejoice in sufferings and affliction. That's why it can face affliction with perseverance, because no matter what is thrown at it, this hope has the assurance of a demonstration of God's love for us, even in the death of Jesus and the assurance of eternity with him, demonstrated for us in the resurrection of Jesus. That's why the apostles... Could rejoice when they were whipped. In the book of Acts, the Sanhedrins, they called all the apostles in. They'd been preaching about the name of Jesus, and they'd been healing people in the name of Jesus. And the Sanhedrin, well, they weren't happy about it. And it says, so they took them, and they had them flogged. And it says that afterwards, they went home rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer in the name of Jesus. Now, I want you not to rush over this. You know, sometimes when we read something in the Bible, we can read it in five or ten seconds, and, and we miss kind of the impact of what was happening. And, but what I want you to see this morning, what, what I want you to pause on is this thought, that this flogging, it wasn't over in five or ten seconds. According to their laws, they could be lashed up to 39 times. 39 times for each of them. Now that's a serious beating. I mean, they would have left that place in a world of hurt. They would have been bruised. They would have had huge welts on their backs. They would have been bleeding. They would have needed some medical attention. And most people, they would have been humble and humiliated and frightened and submissive. I mean, if I was doing something that the leaders of the community were so upset with that they gave me this kind of beating, I'm not sure I would re leave rejoicing. You know, I would, I would leave fearful. And I probably wouldn't do that thing again. But it says that these guys go out rejoicing, and they're rejoicing that they're counted worthy to suffer for the name of Jesus. And it doesn't slow them down one bit. The next thing you see them, they're right back out there proclaiming the name of Jesus 
healing in Jesus' name. Why? Because of the hope they have in Jesus. Because they know that Jesus is alive, because they know that Jesus died for them, that he rose again from the dead, and he's coming back to receive them to himself. They have hope, the kind of hope that originates in the spirit of God and promises the certainty of the ultimate triumph of Jesus, the kind of hope that they knew would not disappoint him. So they rejoiced in their sufferings. Their sufferings produced perseverance. Perseverance produced character, and character produced more hope. And they were right back out the next day because they have hope. Their spirit was encouraged because they knew their future was certain. And this is why the Apostle Paul can continue on in the same book of Romans just a little bit later. Listen to these hope-filled verses in Romans chapter 8. He says, I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory to be revealed in us. And again, uh, 10 verses later, and we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who are called according to his purpose. For those God, God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the likeness of his son, that we might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those he predestined, he also called. Those he called, he also justified. Those he justified, he also glorified. What then shall we say in response to all of this? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble, or hardship, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or danger of sword? No, in all of these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Hallelujah! Oh, God's love is amazing. God's hope is amazing. And as we get ready to conclude this morning, you know, I know that there are some of you who have been facing some really difficult circumstances. There are some of you who life has really just punched in the gut. Things that maybe you weren't expecting. Maybe life sucker punched you. And there are some of you who feel like, you know, you haven't seen a ray of sunshine in some time. You know, and I wish I could tell you exactly everything that's going to happen, all the details of how everything's going to work out, and I, and I can't tell you that, but I can tell you something of God's desire for you. It's found at the very end of this book of Romans that we've been looking at, chapter 15, verse 13. It says this, May the God of all hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him, so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. So what I can tell you is this, God is fighting for you. God is on your side. He's carrying your burdens, covering your shame. The resurrection power of Christ is alive in you. He's fighting for you, pushing back the darkness, lighting up the kingdom, and defeating the enemy. That's what God is doing for you. He wants to fill you with all hope through the power of the Lord Jesus Christ. Would you stand with me this morning? And uh, 
Here's what we're going to do. I'm going to just close in prayer. And after that, I want to encourage you. We're going to sing that song one more time. And if you've been going through it, if you've had a life just punch you in the gut that way, and, and you've been asking, you know, God, where is this hope? God, I just, I don't know that I can keep going on. I want you to join us at the altar. As soon as we start the first note of this, join us at the altar again in worship as a declaration. God, I am keeping my faith in you. God, I'm keeping my hope in you. God, I'm keeping my hand in your hand. I maybe can't see how all of this is going to work out, but my faith, my hope, and my trust is in you. Can we do that? <coughs> let's pray, and then on the first word, let's uh, respond to God and let him fill us with hope. God, thank you so much for your goodness and your kindness to us, God. Thank you so much for the hope that you give to us, God. And Father, our eyes are on you, God. Our faith is in you, God. We pray now you come. Encourage your people. Lift up your people in the name of Jesus and fill us with your hope. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. And everyone said amen, amen. God is fighting for you.